Welcome to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, be sure to visit us at cbctaylorville.com. Listen now as Pastor Chad delivers this week's message. And I am super excited. This is the first time that I've preached this passage, and I've wanted to preach this passage probably since the time I was in seminary, just because it really moved with, it's just a moving passage to me of what the potential in this passage as people of God, if they were to actually apply it. So if you're ready, say, I'm ready. If you're not ready, just be quiet. Let, let you just be not known. Perfect. You guys are awesome. Hey, uh, if we haven't met, my name is Chad. I am the lead pastor around here. So glad that you're here, whether you're in the room or you're somewhere uh, out there in the internet space. So good that you're tuning in today. We're actually in, in a series, at the end of a series, called Are We There Yet? And we're talking about life, and we're using the metaphor of a road trip for life. I, I just want to I just want to kind of see if you think this is weird. Marla's not in here, but she has her own opinion of this. But I just want you to know that I have saved my, my whole family's life numerous times while on a road trip because I will go to a rest stop, and if I'm tired, I will do jumping jacks outside of my car at a rest stop. And I just want, you to, I just want to know, if you think that's weird, give me a thumbs up. If you think that's weird, give me a thumbs up. Keep it low for the sake of... No, look at that. No, Joe, yours is high. You're like, I want you to see it. All right, so is that weird? Is, that, is it weird? Yes or no? no? Thank you very much. Thank you. I didn't hear anyone say yes, and I didn't see your thumbs go up. So there you go. True story. It is embarrassing. I don't do it anymore, but I used to, and I would just... We'd make long drives from Florida. It was 19 hours when we lived in Melbourne, Florida, to come here. And we, were, we couldn't afford a hotel both ways. And we'd have to make quick trips because we're in ministry. And Sundays are coming. So it's always trying to get back. And we'd have to make quick trips that 19 hours. And we would just plow through. And yes, I would literally stop at a rest stop. And I would do jumping jacks and do whatever. And then get back in the car. And I would mow through some more hours. And then when we lived in Jacksonville, Florida, when I was stationed in there in the Navy, it was about a 15-hour drive on the exact same stretch of road. I used to do the exact same thing. I have a long history of being weird, I guess. I don't know. But I did this. And you see, here's the thing. When you're on a long road trip, you know this as well as I do. When you're on a, load, on a long road trip, sometimes it's kind of just easy to coast and you're in the middle of the road trip and you're just riding along where everything starts to look the same and sound the same and the trucks are the same and everything else is the same around you. And if, it, if you get on a familiar stretch of, of road particularly, you kind of just like numb out, don't you? And you just kind of zone. And, and sometimes when you zone, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but, but sometimes it can be a really bad thing. I'm, like, I, I'm kind of like nervous and yet excited for the cars that drive themselves. I haven't really formed an opinion. I'm, like, I'm excited about it because I can read while I drive. Is that, can I do that legally? Probably not. I don't know. But, so I am kind of like excited about that. I'm like, hey, I don't have to drive, but yet I kind of like the control of the steering wheel a little bit. And then, but I wonder... If years ago when cars got cruise control, I wonder if people had the same hesitancy with cruise control that they do with automatic driving cars. It's like, oh, I like, to have, I like to have my foot on the gas pedal so I know how fast I'm going. And I don't like that cruise control because it's driving itself. I don't know. I haven't formed opinions. But what I do know is when you're on a long road trip, maybe it'll be convenient. Maybe it won't. But 
Again, road trip is a metaphor for what? Life. So think about this, not from a perspective of a road trip, but think about this from the perspective of the spiritual life. Isn't it easy to get in a spiritual rut? Say yes if you believe that. It is very easy to get in a spiritual rut. It is very easy to just go do the churchy things or do the Christian things, get in a rut, and just kind of land and like live your life in the middle of that rut and not see what's going on around you or experience the life that is around you. And I want you to know that is a very dangerous place to be. That is a very dangerous place to be because you can find a rut spiritually just by being comfortable. And, and if we're comfortable for too long, then we also can get complacent. And if we're complacent and then we're comfortable, what we don't do is we don't tend to follow God in the way that he wants us to because we've gotten so inundated with ourselves that we stopped listening to God. This is exactly what we see in the passage this morning. I invite you to go into Hosea and the Old Testament Here's a little cheat to find Hosea because it's the first of the minor prophets in historical order. And here's a little cheat. If you just open your Bible, and if you have a digital device, you're going to get there before I get done talking. But if you have a good old-fashioned Bible like I do, if you split that open, you're going to be around Psalms or Proverbs, maybe Ecclesiastes. And then you're going to go to the right just a little bit, and you're going to go through some familiar names. You're going to see Isaiah, and then it's right after Daniel. But if you go and you see familiar names that sounds like they're American names, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you need to go to the left a little bit to Hosea, a name that is not as familiar with where we live. For us to understand this passage and how they got to this place, I have to do some unpacking because they are indeed complacent. They are indeed in a place where they, they used to hear God's voice, they used to be in covenant with God, and somewhere along the line, they became uh, complacent and they stopped hearing the voice of God, and then they started to believe the chatter within themselves and started to operate outside of God's commands and God's law and started to pursue their own version of the law. Uh, to summarize what I'm going to talk about in more depth, Israel had abandoned God and put in their hope, ultimately, in military strength and political alliance. This is what had happened in this passage. Israel had abandoned God altogether, and they put their hope in military strength and in political alliance. They had first gone out to the Egyptians and said, hey, what do you, can you help me? Can you help me? Can you help me? And, and that didn't pan out for them. So then they were undeterred. So then they moved beyond the Egyptians. And then they went to the Assyrians. And they're literally trying to prostitute themselves into a relationship with Assyria. I use that word carefully. And I also use that word intentionally because that's the kind of thing that you see in Hosea. Because they had abandoned their relationship with God and now they're going out and they're pursuing some sort of political alliance because they think that's going to benefit them in the long run. And they're, they're aligning themselves with a country and a people group that has a strong military. Does this sound familiar to anybody? In Hosea 1, 2, and 3, you don't have to, to, to read it, but this is just a reference and it's actually on your info card. This is one of the things... Actually, when you read Hosea, this is what people tend to remember about Hosea. He was told by God to, to marry an adulterous woman. Real talk. It's like, Hosea, it's like, check it out. I've got a plan for you. You're going to marry a woman by the name of Gomer. Say what? No, her name's Gomer. It is. 
She, uh, she may or may not be your type, but that's who you're going to marry. And the reason why he was told to marry her is because his life and marriage was a picture of the covenant relationship that Israel had with God. That you can see for yourself in Hosea 1, 2, and 3. But also in Hosea 4, we will read this together. This will be the, the only... Uh, part of the passage before I get into the main passage for us to understand also what's going on. Chapter 4, verse 1 says this, Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing, lying, and murder, stealing, and adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Because of this, the land mourns, and all who live in it waste away. The beasts of the, of the field and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea are dying. But let no man bring a charge. Let no man accuse another. For your people are like those who bring charges against a priest. They stumble day and night. And the prophets stumble with you, stumbling in there. It means those who don't walk in the ways of the Lord. At the end of verse Five, we see this. God says, so I will destroy your mother. In other words, I will destroy the nation of Israel. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. They have deliberately rejected God. Middle of verse 6. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priests. Because you have ignored the law of your God, I also will ignore your children. The more the priests increase, the more they sinned against me. They exchanged their glory for something disgraceful. This gets you a little bit more of the context as to what's going on. We could fast forward into Hosea 8.8, and this passage says this, Israel was swallowed up. Now she is among the nations like a worthless thing. Hosea 9.17 paints it in this way, My God will reject them because they have not obeyed him. They will be wanderers among the nations because they have deliberately walked away from God and they'd have ignored God's command and any time that someone is a covenant person of God and they walk away from God's commands look out and not only look out if you're that person I would say if you're around that person look out that we see in Hosea 9.17 the main passage is going to be verse 12 of chapter 10 but I want us to read through chapter 10 to get there. So again, we kind of soak in the word and we allow it to, I don't want you to just hear what it is that I'm saying. I want you to look at the word of God and so that it just sinks deeply within you so that the Holy Spirit of God would use uh, the word of God in the way that it's intended. Verse one of chapter 10, Hosea. Israel was a spreading vine. He brought forth fruit for himself. This is what the nation of Israel was they were a spreading vine. He brought forth fruit for himself. As his fruit increased, instead of honoring God, he built more altars. As his land prospered, he adorned his sacred stones. Their heart was deceitful, and now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will demolish their altars and destroy their sacred stones. Then they will say, we have no king because we did not revere the Lord. But even if we had a king... What could he do for us? In other words, 
they didn't want God because they didn't want authority over them. They wanted to be their own authority. This is actually the lie of cultural Marxism right now in our day. That there's no authority that's worth being put over you. Challenge every bit of authority, including the authority of God. The same sinful state is present today. Verse 4 says this, They make many promises, take false oaths, and make agreements. Therefore, lawsuits spring up like poisonous weeds in a plowed field. The people who live in Samaria fear for the calf idol of Beth-Avon. That means house of wickedness. Its people will mourn over it, and so will its idolatrous priests, those who have rejoiced over its splendor because it was taken from them into exile. It will be carried to Assyria as tribute for the great king. Ephraim will be disgraced. Israel will be ashamed of its wooden idols. Verse 7, Samaria and its king will float away like a twig on the surface of the waters. The high places of wickedness will be destroyed. It is the sin of Israel. Thorns and thistles will grow up and cover their altars. Then they will say to the mountains, cover us, to the hills fall on us. In other words, they will be hopeless. Since the days of Gibeah, you have sinned, O Israel, and there you have remained. Do not war. Did not war overtake the evildoers of Gibeah? When I please, I will punish them. Nations will be gathered among them. I will put them in bonds for their double sin. Ephraim is a trained heifer that loves to thresh. So I will put a yoke on her fair neck. I will drive Ephraim. Ephraim is representing the northern kingdom of Israel. This is the time where the kingdom of Israel is the 12 tribes are divided north and south. Ten in the north, two in the south. I will drive Ephraim, the northern kingdom. Judah must plow, that's the southern kingdom. And Jacob must break up the ground, that's the covenant people of God. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap the fruit of unfailing love. And break up your unplowed ground, for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers righteousness on you. Folks, I want you to see this first and foremost. Within this passage, the nation of Israel, the people of God, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom and all the covenant people of God had walked away from God and now they're prostituting themselves. They're pimping themselves out to first try the Egyptians and then they did with the Assyrians because they didn't want the authority of God. This is an incredibly dangerous place for any of God's covenant people to be in. Whether it's past tense in the Old Testament or us covenant people in the New Testament. This is a very dire and dangerous place for us to be. To be covenant people of God, to have known the blessings of God, to experience the power of God, and then become comfortable and complacent in our walk with Him. Which is why, if we look at verse 12, I love how the ESV has verse 12 mapped out, and I think it's more true to the original language that you see on the screen, sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. The solution for the spiritual problem is in verse 12. The word of God says to all of God's covenant people, sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love. Notice all the farming metaphors, all the agricultural metaphors. 
Notice what it says next, break up your fallow ground. I want you to know that there's two different types of soil. The first type of soil is fallowed soil. This is key that we understand this and we sit in this. Though I'm not a farmer, I have studied the implications of what fallowed soil is. Fallowed soil is is soil that, that is actually fertile soil. But because of its complacency, the soil, and because it has not been used, the soil has just gotten hardened over time as the sun has beat upon the soil. But the soil has not felt the the, the beauty and the kindness of the plow to break up the soil. The fallowed soil is, is so hard that though the rains come, that there's such a hard shell over the soil that the rains just wash away and that the rain does not penetrate the soil. That's fallow soil. It has immense potential, but because of the hard shell on the outside and because of years, now the soil is dormant, although it has great potential, but now the soil is dormant and the water and the nutrients, not even seed could take root. The fallowed soil is, is, is just full of thicket and thorn bushes and just weeds. It's barren, not because it doesn't have potential. It's barren because it's been ignored. That it's not felt the, 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 the God's love and just the, the tangs working the soil. Or again, the, the kindness of the, of the oxen in, in that day just stamping on that soil, working that soil. Because all of that softens the soil. I'll say it in this way. The fallow soil is fallow ground. It's soil that was once plowed, but it's been left dormant, untilled, and unplanted. It was left dormant, untilled, and unplanted. Ignored through a long period of time. This would almost be unheard of with where we live because every acre of land here is worth so much money. And because all you have to do is go right outside of whatever city you live in here, in this area of the country, you go right outside of your city and you see miles of farmland. That it would be foolish to be left dormant. But it's also foolish to, in their day. And this agriculture metaphor, it's, it's foolish that they themselves had not been experiencing the blessing of God as well. And God's command is to break up the unplowed ground. And of course, it's a metaphor for your heart. Which our heart, just like the ground, is the fallowed ground is unopened, it's unbroken. It's not filled. It's not fertilized. It's not sown with seed. Instead, it's overrun with things that need not be there like weeds and thistles or a bad attitude or sloth or envy or greed or pride. It's destitute of grace. The second time of soil is plowed soil. This represents the, the cultivated heart. The plowed soil or the cultivated field 
know that the fence is open. And it's used to the weight of the plow. It's used to the, to the shuffle of the oxen. It's used to the tangs breaking up that soil. Knowing the only way that seed could actually grow there is that the soil is broken up over time and worked over time and it's softened just like our hearts need to be softened and then you're able to plant seed and then you're able to cover that and then God causes it to grow. Two different types of soil, fallowed and plowed. The plowed field is beaten and bruised and usable and useful. So what are some other characteristics of the plowed field? It's ready for seed. It's ready for growth. It receives the water and nourishment because there is no hard crust over the surface. Instead, it's broken up almost to a powder to where the water just naturally soaks in and does what the water is supposed to do. It's ready to receive the nourishment from the Lord. And because of these things, it reaps a harvest. But also, don't allow a a shallow furrow of the land. Sometimes that's what we do, if we're honest. We don't want the deep things of the Lord. We We just want just enough to scratch the surface to make it seem like we're actually doing something or God's moving in our life. But indeed, God is not moving to the potential that He wants to in your life because in that, you more than likely have a fallowed soil. So we can't accept just a a shallow, just occasionally touching the surface either. The Word of God tells us in Matthew 6.33, but seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all things will be given to you as well. There's also two different types of people. There's the fallowed and the plowed. And just so you know, just because this is a Baptist church doesn't mean that we have, we've cornered the market on, on having a plowed soul or heart. Because it's the same thing in every denomination, whether it's Baptist, Methodist, Lutheran, Christian, Pentecostal, Evangelical, or some other ones that I missed. Within every one of those churches that would call themselves truly Christian churches, there are fallowed people. And there are plowed people. Hearts that are used to and they've been softened over time by the Lord. And there are hearts that are hard. You see, the interesting thing about the the fallowed field is this and the fallowed soul is this. The fallowed soul had once felt the power of God. That's what saddens me. Is they felt the power of God. Somebody who has a, a, a fallow heart, so to speak. They've experienced the power of God. They've seen the power of God. Maybe they've been swept up in a revival in past days and the fallowed people, they are the people who cling to the past and they can't celebrate what God's doing in the present. So they talk about the past. As a matter of fact, anytime there's a new, new revival or a new movement of God, usually the fallowed people are the ones who actually reject that movement, but yet at the same time they celebrate what God did way back when because they think that was real and they think this is artificial. Come on. See, Christians, we can be the worst of this. If you're not a Christian this morning, I guess in some ways you get a pass because Christians, I'm laying it on you today. 
Because this is true. Sometimes we're just so fallowed and, and you need the word of God. You need the spirit of God to penetrate the, the soil of your heart because you're fallow. And even if God moved and he rained his, his, his just poured out a blessing over you because you're, the hardening of your soil, it would just wash off of you because the fallowness of your heart. You see, the fallow are content with what they have done. And they tend to defend the foulness of their history. They ultimately don't want to be disturbed. So the reason why they reject a, a current or a new movement of God is because they're comfortable with what God did way back when. And now they don't want their complacency and their comfort to be compromised with what God's doing now. I'll be honest with you, I'm not near as interested in what God did 20 years ago. I'm really interested in what God wants to do right now. I'm not near as interested in what, what God did with the people 20 years ago or 10 years ago or 5 years ago. I'm not wasting energy on what used to be or what could have been. Instead, I want all of my energy, spiritual and physical energy, on what God is doing right now in this house. And he's going to use you. And he's going to use me. If our hearts are open to him. But if we just continue on with fallowed hearts, you, I'm just saying this, I, I say this not with any sort of judgment, and I'm not mad at anybody. I'm not mad at anybody. But I just want you to know, if your heart is fallow, it wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if five years you're not here anymore. I wouldn't be surprised. Because the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing. The word of God tells us that in the New Testament. And he's advancing through the ministry of Calvary. I want you here. But if your heart is fallow, you're probably going to be somewhere else. And I'm not mad at you. I want you to be here. But I don't want you to be fallow and sitting in the seats. I want you to be plowed. Cultivated. With your heart that's softened to the Lord. And it's softened to the spirit of God and, and understands that, that, the, that the word of God has a level of kindness to it, that God in his kindness, he grants us the path of repentance. See, that's what I want for you. But if you continue on, with, if, you, if you are of the fallow, and I don't know that you are, but if you are, I just want you to know, you can be very well educated. You can know all the church doctrine. You can know all the history. You can, you, can be, you can even be engaged in a life group. You can be serving on a ministry team and just flying under the radar. And yet you are content with how things are. But I am not. I am not. Instead, I'm, I'm longing for what could be if we trust our future to the Lord. You see, the fallow soil, they, they remain unchanged Again, hardened by complacency. They lack the courage to actually live the Christian life. I'm not saying that they couldn't be back to where they once were. But this just is one of the things that plagues them. The fallow have, their, have fenced their faith in and fenced God out. Again, fence their faith in. They're not believing God for big things. They're not trusting God for big things. They pray small prayers. Their faith is mundane, and they cannot hold a miracle within their small faith. And in doing so, when you, when you fence your faith in, you actually fence God out because he will not be contained with the fallow. 
The fallow pay a high price for their complacency and comfort, though. They neither know the joys of being connected with Jesus nor the pleasure of purposeful living. So they're right in the middle. Do you believe that a whole church can be fallow? Somebody say yes. Somebody say show me. Somebody say show me. Thank you. All right. Go to the right in your Bible, Revelation 3. There's a whole church. They don't use the word fallow, but the characteristics are just the same. In Revelation 2 and 3, amazing passage of Scripture. I have had the chance of preaching this one years ago. There's seven different churches at the beginning of Revelation that, that God inspires a word through the apostle John. And the last on the list is the most popular of them. And it's the church at Laodicea. Somebody say that. Laodicea. Nice try. That was good. We, I don't know. You said it pretty good. I don't even know if I said it. So I think, I don't know. Who, who am I? I got close. We got close. The church at Laodicea is a picture of a fallow church. Let's go into the word of God. Verse 15 says this. Reading through verse 20. I know your deeds. This is the words in red. This is the words of Jesus. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you either were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. That's a picture. You say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Verse 20, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. This is a picture of a fallow church. I'll give you some details about this that helps you to understand. This is the only church of the seven that are known as being lukewarm. God inspired this particular letter to the church in Laodicea very specifically, word for word. The reason why it says lukewarm is because the people in Laodicea, they didn't have their own water source. Instead, they were actually, they were dependent on aqueducts to bring water into this area. So, when the word of God says that this church was lukewarm, for them, they would know, huh, is he talking about something very specific to us? And the answer is yes. Because on one side, there were cold springs that they were dependent on. And they flowed from Colossae. Colossians, Colossae, same area. The water would flow, and they were, the, the springs were cold, and they would flow to Laodicea. But by the time it would flow from Colossae to Laodicea, the coldness would be gone, and all they knew was lukewarm water. So it wasn't just a random word picture. They knew exactly what God meant. So to the south, you have Colossae with cold springs, and then to the right, there's an area called Heropolis that had hot springs. And it wasn't drinkable because of the minerals that, that was in the water. So they were 
dependent on someone else for them to have fresh water within their area, and the only water that they could get was warm. There's more. It was a center for wealth. We know this in a Roman historian outside the Bible. He said this about this area. Laodicea arose from the ruins by the strength of her own resources with no help from us. He's making reference to something that happened in 60 A.D., that there was an earthquake, and they, they told everyone else, we don't need your help, pridefully, we don't need your help, we don't need your help, we don't need your help. We can do this all by ourselves. We can pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. Our language, not their language. There's more. You want more? I've got more. Doesn't matter if you want it, you're getting more. So here you go. Within the passage, notice um, in verse 18, It says, I counsel you to buy for me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear. This was also a center for fashion because they had a very unique black wool that was produced there. Notice, black wool, Jesus chose the words white clothes to wear. You want some more? Thank you. Says, so you can cover your shameful nakedness and put salve on your eyes. Well, what would this have to do with? This area was known as being experts in optometry. They were known as people who had the ability to, to medicinally to actually put things on your eyes like an eye salve. So literally, line by line by line, the Word of God is not only true as far as spiritually true, but it's true in the direct context that it's written. Because this is the church that's being called out. It was also the the center for entertainment. But yet it was was known most of all for being an area that was just dependent on other people for water. It was also the center for commerce. Verse 17, notice what they say. Jesus says, you say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. In other words, I've done, we've done this all by ourselves, God. We don't need you. We're good. We are ex-people. We don't need you, God. We've progressed past needing you. Oh, church. Laodicea, the, the name itself, it literally means rule of the people. It literally means rule of the people. This is a fallow church, but notice in verse 20, there's a hopeful message here. Jesus didn't say, well, I'm just going to leave you by yourself. You made a mess. Deal with it. Notice it's not what he says. He says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. In other words, I am granting you the opportunity to change. This is who you are and who you were, but I'm giving you an opportunity not to be fallow anymore. I'm, Jesus would say uh, in, in his own way, I'm, I'm available. I'm at the door. Receive me. You see, fellow Christians have too much of the world to be happy in Jesus, but too much of Jesus to be happy in the world. You could say it another way. They're so heavenly minded that they do no earthly good. 
So they're right in between. They're like, oh, no, I'm saved, although their life shows no spiritual growth, and maybe they've been that way for a long time because they're fallow. And they have too much of the world to be happy in Jesus, and they have too much of Jesus to be happy in the world because they're complacently right in the middle. You see, the fallow don't recognize the spiritual war because it disrupts their comfort and compliancy. 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4 says this, For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. With God's help, this will not be me. With God's help, this will not be you. If you ever wonder where that, when that time is, that time is right now. 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9 says this, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, verse 9, standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. In other words, don't play the victim card. You're not a victim. Everybody's suffering like you're suffering. Trust God through it. Don't blame someone else. Don't, don't just say that I'm a victim. Don't just don't put yourself in that category because if you put yourself in that category, you yourself will be comfortable and you'll be, you, you'll be complacent and you will miss God. The topsoil of our hearts must be broken to bear fruit. The topsoil of our hearts must be broken to bear fruit. Oh, church, and I want to bear fruit. I want us all to bear fruit. I don't want you to be dependent on me as that I'm the fruit bearer. I'm only one of many. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do to bear fruit. But you, as Christians, if you are indeed are Christians, you have a unique call as well to bear fruit in your life. And in our community, the the vision at Calvary is to be a church for God, for the city, for the nations. In other words, there's a place for you to fit in, whether it's serving here in the church or serving outside of the church and in the community, being active in in all of those parts. Or as Dolly said during the, the rally, in the hive or outside the hive, if you're here for that. If you missed it, well, you missed it. A.W. Tozer says this, miracles follow the plow. The power of God comes only where it is called out by the plow. He continues, the church that fears the plow writes its own epitaph. The church that uses the plow walks in the way of revival. Walking in the way of the plow. How, How can you know where you are. Before we just say, no, 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 I'm, I'm a plowed field, man. I'm plowed. I'm plowed. I got yeah, I'm here. I, I know the verses, books of the Bible. I can tell you what they are. I can sing the song. I remember Sunday school. Yeah. I got saved in such and such day. Yeah. Before we, we go through all the, the spiritual accolades that you've done, which actually proves me very little, how about we go into the Word of God, shall we? Into Romans 8. 9 through 13. Let's spend some time there before I'm through. How can we know 
that we're either fallowed or plowed. How can we know if we're operating under the flesh or the spirit? Because that's the same thing. Romans 8, 9 through 13 says this. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the spirit. Talking of Christians. If the spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he is raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, because it is, but it is not to your sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to your sinful nature, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of your body, you will live. John Owen, famous theologian, said this, be killing sin or your sin will be killing you. And he said that based upon Romans 8, 13. How can I break up the fallow ground? How can I break up the fallow ground? Some of you need to be asking that question right now because your future depends on it. Your reputation depends on it. Your relationships depend on it. Your ability to experience the pleasure of God depends on it. Your ability to to know what true joy is and to know the difference between happiness that's fleeting and joyful and joy that lasts through all of our lives potentially. It depends on it. You should be asking the question, how can I break up the fallow ground? Because you will not be at peace with God and you consequently will not have peace in your life if you are satisfied and if you're just complacent and you're comfortable in your walk with God and if you're just on cruise control. I don't know who it is that God's speaking to, but I know he's speaking to somebody. You should be asking the question, well, how can I break up the fallow ground? It begins with recognition. If you believe that that your heart is fallow today, that's step one, recognition. That's me. Don't squirm away from it. Don't, Don't excuse it. Don't play the victim. Just say, that's me. The second, follow that up very quickly with repentance. Hasty or quick repentance leads to shallow revival is also what A.W. Tozer said. Don't just repent and be like, oh, oh, I repented, it's over now. Spend time in that repentance. Trusting the Spirit of God to, to go deeper, to plow a little deeper and a little deeper and a little deeper and a little deeper to break up that fallowed heart of yours. That takes time. It's not hasty. It's not quick. It does take time. Spiritual growth takes time. There's no substitute for the time that it takes for spiritual growth. Repent quickly, meaning get on it quickly, but it's going to take a while. Then the next, next thing is you have to have a true desire for change, a true desire for change. 
You can amen what I say all day long and have a fallow heart. You, with a fallow heart, can want something for me or for someone else and not actually want it for yourself. You have to have a personal desire for change. And the next, and I know this seems so simple and so elementary, but it really is. Start to pay attention to God's word and obey it. Start to pay attention to God's word and obey it. This was the spiritual and moral decline of the nation of Israel and Hosea. Generations had gone by where they got comfortable. They stopped trusting in God. They maybe heard stories about the power of God and the miracles of God. But they weren't doing anything. Where are you this morning? Where are you this morning? Where are you this morning? What about you? What about you? Two categories. Fallow. Cultivated. Hard. Soft. Which one are you? Please stand. If God so moves in your heart, this is your, your time to, to receive some, some ministry, maybe beginning the first process, bit of the process of repentance and just coming forth to say, God, this is, this is me. I, I've, I've had a fallow heart for a long time. I've never been able to know what it is, but now I know what it is. God will kindly meet you right now. But yet, even in that, there's kindness when the tangs of the plow break the surface of the heart. There's kindness there because that means God is on the move and he may be moving in you. What is that God is saying to you this morning? Maybe, maybe you're not a Christian and maybe right now all you feel is you feel the weight of the world, the weight of your sin on your shoulders. It's amazing to me how God moves in ways that I don't even expect. There's, there's been times where I'll preach a message on, on a certain topic or theme, and then someone comes forward to pray, and they actually get saved maybe. It has nothing to do necessarily with what I talked about. It's just the power of God. Let the Spirit of God move in the house today. We're not going to rush out of here. I know I'm over time, and I really don't care. Because I don't want to leave until God is through with what he's going to do in the room. So if, if you have the need to respond, whether for salvation or just to come forward to say, God, I've, I've, I've got that fallow heart. Now's the time to come forward. Receive some prayer and encouragement from some of the people on the prayer team in the process. Hmm. Now's the time for you to respond. You can come to the front to receive the blessing of the Lord, a new heart, a new spirit, a new future through Christ.